<laughs> okay. Um, we're almost live. It's setting it up and it's doing it. I don't know what it's doing. And here we go. And yes, I believe we're live. Hi, James Lee. Hello, Vicki Abelson. Nice to see oh. you even this far away. You know, it, isn't it funny how Zoom makes us, it, it gives me a false sense that I'm really there. Does it do that for you? Well, because I, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of comedy when I perform. It's, it doesn't do it for me because I can't get the feedback. People say, tell your stories. And I go, you know, without the audience laughing, it, stories aren't the same. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's like sex by yourself. It works, but it's really not the same, you know. <laughs> But you know what's interesting? I've been doing this shooting the shit. I don't know if you know about this, but I've been going live on Mondays. On Mondays, and I was well. Actually, I was doing it seven days a week at the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. Um, to yeah, I was doing that to be of service, you know, and to for other people and for myself. Um, and uh, it it was it got me through. I mean, because I was living alone at the time, and it mm -hmm. was very lonely James Lee you have you have your lovely wife it was very lonely um no, I didn't think so of that I got really yeah it's right for those of us that lived alone that was it, it was it's it's been a torturous time there are still people I lead the COVID crazies there are still many who are living that way still as yes. we were discussing earlier about our mutual friend who uh -huh. doesn't um, yeah. So if people I, don't have a partner go ahead I'm I, sorry I'm I do know yakking. that that for me uh the, the fact that that uh, I had COVID, I mean, the COVID happened right after I had the cancer. And so I couldn't have gone out on the road anyhow. So I was home, you know, for that. And, mm. uh, and then I, I, re, I, I had needed six or seven months to recuperate from that. And, and I did, but I was, it, it was perfect timing for me because then I was, you know, I, I liked being home and I didn't have to go anywhere. And, and I had Evelina and not that much changed for me. The, uh, during the, the COVID thing, except, I mean, I fell off the roof and broke my back. And okay, we have to, you're, you're dropping a lot of dimes here with the cancer and the drop and the falling off the roof. And we need to talk about all okay, this. Okay. Well, um, to, regarding the roof, there were bats in our attic. I went up there to on the roof to uh, seal the, the flashing around the chimney, which is how they were entering the, the attic. And when I got to the top of the ladder, stepped onto the roof, the ladder flipped. And so I fell off the roof and I fell 10 feet and uh, I, our house is up on, on stilts, so we have a deck around the whole house. It's about 30 feet off the ground. So when I fell, I realized that if I, if I missed the deck, I was dead. And if I hit the railing, I'd probably be paralyzed for life. And if I hit the furniture, I could like puncture a lung. So I, I caught the rain spout and managed to throw myself in the one space on the deck where I wouldn't hit anything except I did hit my head on the deck itself and got a concussion, broke nine ribs, two vertebrae, and I had spinal fusion surgery. But uh, two weeks later, I did a concert for the, uh, the Hatchapi Apple Fest. I did it in okay. the back with I, a chair, but you know. We, ha we have to go back. Okay, you fall off the roof. Is mm -hmm. Evelina at home? Yeah, she was, she was there. Like, usually, she's, that's the weird thing is that for our entire marriage, she has always gone, don't get on that ladder until I can spot you. She's been really, and this time she was in her office and I thought, I'll just put everything on the roof and it's not a big deal. And that's the one time in, in 35 years of marriage that she wasn't spotting me for the ladder. Oh 
my lord okay so, so she's not she's inside you're outside you take this fall does she hear the crack does she hear oh yeah you... i mean you know or, or yeah the deck goes around the whole house so it, was, it reverberated like a drum and oh. she came running out seven minutes later the uh, the emergency guys were here and and 20 minutes after i fell off the roof i was in a helicopter going to bakersfield how is this I, even possible that all of that happened so quickly yeah it was unbelievable actually and then uh then i was in three days at, at a trauma ward it was open bay trauma ward in bakersfield so I, I slept about eight minutes at a time because it was like you know the set of mash you know doctors also emergency ah you know all this kind of stuff going on then i took a twenty-eight thousand dollar uh ambulance ride to stanford where i had the operation and and i was told that i was the least the lowest maintenance patient they ever had Okay, I want to talk I want to talk about this because unless I'm crazy, I recall you saying that you did not take painkillers through this no, thing. No, I never do. Okay, first why in a case like this when so many things are broken and Uh well, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I okay. have been living in this body for 76 years and Correct. And my feeling is that when something hurts, it's like your body going, "Hey, over here there's a problem and i think that when you dull that message it slows down the healing process and and you think this why uh because because it's the pain that that causes your body to send blood and stuff there to fix it is that, that true it's not the injury itself that does no i i think i think that the pain is is the, the thing that that flags the the brain and goes hey there's a problem here and I don't know this is true. I just know that that I heal faster than anybody. I mean, I healed cancer. Two months after my cancer operation, I did a concert, you know? Okay, so let's talk how you did this. So this is kind of a crazy story too, the way you discovered you had cancer. How, how did that happen, James Lee? Uh, it was weird. I, I went in for a, a colonoscopy and my wife said, you might This is a different end, you know. These yeah, are- I, I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna get to it. I went <laughs> okay. in for a colonoscopy and, and yeah. Evelina said, you should have an endoscopy while you're at it just you know so so i was like a musician on a spit there and uh, <laughs> and and when they went down my throat they evidently irritated the tumor that i did not know existed so the, uh, two days later my throat started to bother me and it kept getting worse and i called the guy and he said i didn't do anything and i said well something's wrong so I went to another doctor who took an x-ray and said, well, Oh, so first you thought it was that it was from the endoscopy that something exactly. oh, had gotten irritated. Okay. And, and then uh, this guy said, well, to tell you the truth, you've got, you've got a growth. It looks like cancer and it's on your, in your throat. And I thought, I said, so how long have I got? And he said, well, I don't know. We're going to have to go. So he sent me to an oncologist, and, you know, they did all that stuff and they just, they discovered there was a, a tumor that was on my tongue at the, at the back uh and any so way to know how long that was there and, and had been uh well it came from the hpv virus or the human paloma virus so uh i probably had the virus i don't know probably for 30 years because you get it from from sexual activity and uh you know after you get married you're only active with your partner so hopefully that's true and i know so in it, your has case been, that it has is. been for yes. us so yes so I assume that I got it 30 years ago and because Evelina has nothing. So right. I must have got I, I figured I was dating the same woman that Michael Douglas was. <laughs> so now you didn't know 
that you had HPV until you got the cancer. That's correct. And they were able to say that's what caused it. They, they said that the only thing that caused the kind of cancer I had was HPV. So that's possible that that was a slow growing tumor that you'd had for 30 years. Who knows? Who, Who knows? knows? So they went, they went down my throat with a, with a robot, cut it out. And then they also cut me from my ear to my sternum to my other ear and uh, took out 62 lymph nodes because of a thing that they call phantom transference, where the cancer just drifts like a cloud of smoke over to your, your lymph nodes. And, and then once you get lymphoma, it's just a matter of time. It was or it had already traveled into your no, lymph nodes? No, they it just hadn't. said it hadn't. And they said there's a there's about a 60 40 chance that it will travel. 60% it probably won't, 40% it will. And I said, well, you know what? While you're in there, I, I don't remember even using those lymph nodes. So, you know, go ahead. So now, what are the, you're living without 60 lymph nodes. What the hell were we, were we using them for before? I, I think what are they just, doing in there? Uh, I, I assume they were like just things to use in case you had more sex than you thought you were going to have, which of course doesn't happen when you're married. So, you know. <laughs> So, wow, 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 wow. So I'm um, fine. You want to hear some music? I do. <laughs> Let, let's, let's, let's shift this and, and hear some music, James Lee. What are you going to play for us? Uh, I, I wrote a couple of, I mean, I've written a lot of songs up here in the past two years, you know, sitting in my room. And, uh, you, you know, you see me on Facebook. Every t I'm, I'm politically enraged almost all the time. And, yes, uh, as are we all, I think. And I keep writing, wake the flock up. And, and a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, somebody's going to write a song with that. Wait a minute, I'm a songwriter. So I wrote a song called Wake the Flock Up. Here we go. It goes like this. Let's see, I want this. That's what I want. Chain to the TV, chain to the phone. Spin, uh, here we go. Chain to the TV, chain to the phone. Everyone's connected, everyone's alone. Misinformation, the spin in the news. Helplessly watching must be something we can do. There's wolves in the hen house, the brood is in need. Please. Wake the flock up, 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 wake up, wake up. Done in broad daylight, no sense of shame. Say it's their nature, accepting no blame. Time isn't waiting, and neither should we. Just who they are, it's easy to see in a fight for your life. There aren't any rules, fools. Wake the flock up, 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 wake up, wake up. Kill with no conscience, not a clue what they do. 
Now they've tasted blood They're coming for you Me and you Wake the flag up Wake the flag up Wake the flag up Wake the flag up Wake up Wake the flag up Wake the flag up Wake up Wake the flag up Wake the flag up Wake up Wake the flock up. Wake the flock up. You know, I love that, James Lee, because it works on on a whole on two levels, right? It works wake the fuck up and also work literally wake the flock up. Wake which the is, people up, right. It's yeah. quite it's quite brilliant there, James Lee. I'm, Thank you. I'm, I'm I, it certainly that. is fun to play. I gotta tell you that. I'm I love I'm I'm looking forward to doing it live and getting the audience to all scream with me, wake the flock up. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving that. So okay, so let's talk about how how life has changed. Okay, so as I recall, unless I'm mistaken, the last time you were with me one year ago tomorrow really? was just like, yes, Tony Vincent, who did that fabulous uh, composite of you, um, she pointed it out to me. And it turns out, as I recall, that might have been just a day or less than a week before your fall. Was it right in September? When was your fall? September. It was right after we were together that that happened. Um, wow. Yeah, so the, also, my cat of 15 years died, like a couple of days before that. No, I'm so yeah, sorry. Last September, it was, it was kind of a shitty September, wasn't it? For many people, for many, re for lots of reasons. Um, and then what we, the talk of then was how you had miraculously gotten through this cancer so quickly and gotten back to work. And now, how is it? Okay. They, they airlift you up to the hospital, to Stanford, right? They do this surgery. How many pins, whatever, in your back? Uh, 38. I've got, a, I've got a, a, a bar in my back, a titanium bar that's about, I think, 10 inches long. Yeah, I'll show okay. you a picture of it. It looks really weird. And I, I can't do a, a, like a crunch sit-up anymore. But other than that, you know, I'm working out. I'm doing my three miles a day. I'm, I'm do, I mean, I'm just doing everything except for the fact that I, I don't have it's not noticeable that my lack of mobility but i mean i only notice it in terms of like trying to do sit-ups i i can't do the old crunchy sit-up but now i just do the german one where you hold yourself up and you lift your legs up you know so it's... and is there anything there's nothing else that you can physically do as a result uh i haven't come across it yet so you have to bet can you bend at the waist yeah, well, it definitely bent. Yeah, because it's up, it's up above L five, so it's, it's okay. between my scapula and like, uh, you know, the beginning of the, I, let's say there's the lumbar, and then there's the the next region. Mm -hmm. It's in that next region. I see. Yeah, and so and and I can't, I can't, I can't play golf because I can't do that kind of swing. I mean, I can, but I might pull the screws out, and then you know. Is, so is that, that a danger when you have all that hardware in there that you can? Pull yes. it out. Well, it is until the, what happens is just like just like when they when they fix a tree that's got a branch that's broken and they put a mm -hmm. bolt in there and hold mm -hmm. it. In a while, the tree grows over the bolt and you can't even see what was there. Well, the same thing happens with your bones. They will grow over the screws, and and uh, they said it, it would take about a year. So I assume that it, about now, there's no there's you couldn't see the screws. You can still see the bar, but you, the screws themselves have been encased in in uh, new bone 
new calcium, I assume. I don't know. I'm 76. I don't care. You know, <laughs> you know, I've got a, I've got a fake hip now uh, oh, since really? last I week. I we like the old one. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one's titanium. So uh, it's, you know, it's flashy. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I was working with a trainer this morning and there are certain things uh, it's been um, 10 months for me. And okay. so there are still some things that are, quite not doing the full range of motion that I was told after a year they will do. Um, and I was told that I can't injure it, but I guess screws and a rod is a whole different ball of wax there. But, well, you know, they're, they're into the vertebrae, these screws, and the vertebrae is just a thin little bone. It's not like a, it's not like a femur or a pelvic girdle. It's not a big, massive bone, you know? Right, right, right. Well, that makes sense. And, you know, I mean, I'm like, I'm not going to go skiing anymore. You know, I, I sold my motorcycle because if, if I fall off it, uh, the thing is that that I could have, uh, I could paralyze myself for life with a fall like that. So no golf, no skiing. No, no getting up on the roof, I'm thinking. Well, I sold the ladder, so that's not a problem. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Vicky. All my, <laughs> I, I came from like very humble beginnings and my father, who was enormously mechanically inclined uh -huh. could fix anything and he did and so that's how i came up and i just have always taken care of everything i mean i built the rooms on our house i put the you know the electricity and i put the i did everything and and i always have and and it took me falling off the roof to realize you know i have enough money i don't have to do this anymore <laughs> i could just hire someone but I you never can hire someone so that's the plan now i mean we just had a guy come and do something that i could easily have done but she, I thought, you know, what else are we going to do with the money? Leave it to the kids we don't have, you know? I, I, I think this is an, I, I think this is a very good plan that you've, that you've put into place here. I Thank like you. this very much. And, and so you seem to me though, other than being wise to be fairly fearless. Like, it doesn't seem to me that you're living in fear around this. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I don't buy into that at all. I, I didn't. I never thought I wasn't going to be healed. I never was depressed. I never. I just never bought into the, the negative side of it because, things were already shitty enough without me piling things on. You know. So I just never did it. That's. I all. think your attitude is amazing. All right. I still want to go back to well, this because I'm. And still you know in what? Awe. During yeah. during COVID is when I got contacted and they did that documentary on me. You know? which we'll talk about, which I watched today, which was oh, quite oh, wonderful. Did. I it's certainly sweet, did. It? I'm not, yes, it's a one, it's wonderfully sweet. You know what? I was going to have one to show, but I. Do you, you can, you can take a second and go find one. No, there's, they're out in the, in the warehouse. I mean, I don't have to show it. it, it okay. There's a documentary on me and you can, you can see it on my website, uh, jameslystanley.com. And it's, it's just, it's called uh, the, the opening act, the extraordinary journey of, James Lee Stanley and and watch I when I I had nothing to do with it outside of saying yes and plugging him into you know to Henry Diltz and to John Denzel from the Doors and Timothy Schiff from the Eagles and all these people Stephen Wright all these people that did interviews in there which I is just fabulous connected them. but and but what ahead. I didn't what <laughs> what I didn't realize until I saw it was I didn't have a manager I didn't have an agent I didn't have a record label and I opened up for everybody there was all over the country for over a decade, just, just by word of mouth and being good, you know, it's, I mean, I mean, okay. I, so let's I, talk about how you did that, James, because I, I have, 
didn't play arenas and didn't open for all those people, but I've had a lot of those people in my living room and stuff without that the aid of help. How mm. did you how how did you do it? What what would you say if, if someone came to you meant for you to mentor and said, How did you do it? How did you have all of this happen to you without I, I you know what? I think it has to do with A being a uh, being a straight person, being a reliable person, being a professional, and and it's who you know. You know, I mean I met a guy at UCLA, when I did a concert, a co- uh, college thing, mm-hmm. he ended up working for Bill Graham. I, I so when he he called me one day and said, "Hey, you know, I'm working for Bill Graham, and we've got an opening. Can you fill in for somebody?" And it was Art Garfunkel for one date, and uh, and so I went up there and filled in, and and uh, Bill Graham was there, and I got the the rest of the California dates. Uh, with that one, with the exception of the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, when Jimmy Webb came back on because he'd been sick, and 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 then b- because Bill Graham was then aware of me, he used me a lot. I mean, he would call up and say, "Hey, I, you know, you want to open up for?" And I opened for everybody for him. And he's the one who, you, would, if you saw the documentary, you know, he plugged me into Stephen Wright. I mean, and that turned into three years, you know. Mm-hmm. But so a and there was a man named Fred Bolander who was a friend of mine that I met uh, from some friends here in Los Angeles. And he moved to Monterey and started Monterey Peninsula Artists. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he called me. He said, "Hey, we're having a party. You should come." I came down to the party in Carmel and uh, and met uh, Danny Weiner, who was his partner. And and then Fred said, "You know what?" I, uh, oh, I said. To, he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I've got to go to the Midwest." He said, "Are you going to be in St. Louis?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "I said I'm near there." And he said, "Well, you want to open for Michael Murphy?" And I said, "Okay." So I I took that one date and. Uh, and I got like a standing ovation and four encores and, and, uh, and Michael Murphy never used me again, but, uh, <laughs> fr- fr- from that, I got a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of, you know, other dates from Fred and, and every promoter that I ever worked for would then call up and say, can we have James again? You know, once I do a job for them, for one thing, being an opening act is it's a, it's really a high wire act because, you have to go out there and you have to take a, a, a crowd of people that frequently weren't expecting you, didn't know mm-hmm. you were on the show, and they mm-hmm. came to see the other person. Right. And, and so you have to somehow turn that crowd into an audience. And then you have to then you have to leave the stage in a timely fashion because some opening acts stay too long. That's right. You know, so so I I always go to the head. I don't go to the room manager. I go to the headliner, and I say, "What? How we're going to keep acting like that's not happening? We're yeah, just going to." Yeah. You know. I mean, I didn't know that phone was on. The, I phone, I turned off my cell phone, but not <laughs> don't the worry about phone. it. We're fine. Anyhow, it's already over. Uh, yes, I go to the headliner. I don't go mm-hmm. to the room manager. I, I go to the headliner, and I say, "How long do you play?" And they tell me, and I say, "How long would you like me to play?" And they tell me, they give me some number and I say, do you do an encore? If they say yes, I say, do you, do you want me to do an encore if it happens? And if they say no, I go fine, you know, and then you ask them first, why, why do you ask them first if they, because, well, like Stephen Wright never took an encore. So it didn't seem right for the opening act to take an encore if the headliner didn't take an encore. You know, and I've been yes. a headliner a lot, and I know what I would like to have happen. And the other thing I do is, you see this watch? Yes. I turn it inside, so yeah. when I'm playing the guitar, 
I, I never look at it. You know, I don't like to see people on stage looking at their watch. It's like right. well, somewhere to be, you know. So, <laughs> so I put it on the inside and, and I can do exactly as many minutes a show as you want, you know. Right. Which is what I did. And also I I, I seem to be able to uh, to engage an audience pretty quick. And and uh, I don't know, it, it's just, a, it's a gift, you know. I, I go up on stage and I start talking to them and the next thing you know, they're in my pocket. You know, and it's been like that my whole life. Have you ever had an audience that just wants the headliner and are not going to give you the time of day? And and do you adjust your time for that? Or can you win them over? What happens if uh, that were it's, happen? it's only happened twice in my life that I simply wow. did not win them over. And we're talking 50 years of this. And you were uh, doing it like hundreds, like 200 dates a year or something, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It happened twice. Once... Uh, at uh, at Yale, uh, there was a, I don't know why, but they delayed the concert. They wouldn't mm-hmm. let anybody in. It was it was raining. They were out there. It was for Stephen Wright. And they came in and sat down. Oh, oh I know. It was also a free concert. Uh, oh, you got to love the people that are getting it for free. Yeah. So everybody came in and uh, I was announced and they didn't look up. They didn't applaud. They didn't. They didn't stop talking. We're talking three thousand people that just didn't give a rat's ass. Right. And and I I, I started talking to them, but I I could barely hear what I was saying because mm. it was so loud. And so I thought, well, I'll I'll wow them with a song. And I played, you know, a song, and they didn't applaud at the end. They just didn't give her. I mean, it was the <laughs> rudest audience. These were all Yaleys like George Bush, you know. And they were, and it was a free concert. So I finally I I did twenty minutes. And mm-hmm. I looked over and, uh, and Stephen was there and he was like this, you know, holding his head. And I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, fuck it. <laughs> so, so I came off stage and that, that was, and the other time was also with Stephen at the Amar- Armadillo Ballroom in Austin, Texas, I think. It was. Uh-huh. And it, it's, a, it's a place that has one missing wall. So that wall is all chicken wire and the roof is corrugated tin. And I came out on stage and a hailstorm started. And the, the corrugated tin roof was oh. a huge drum. I couldn't hear my guitar in oh. my, in, I couldn't hear it in the monitors. I couldn't hear it in my hands, you know? And I did 20 minutes like that with, and the hail never stopped. It was oh just like being God. inside of a kettle drum for 20 minutes. Oh my and and, I, and I, I looked at Stephen, you know, and he smiled and I laughed and I left the stage. And uh, we took 15 minutes and he came on and the hail stopped as quiet as a mouse so those are the two times well that's that's those are pretty good odds right there yeah um so james before we continue with you know what i want to ask you to play something for me if you would sure i i love all your all wood and uh albums and we should talk about before i ask you to play something can you explain you have all wooden doors you have all wooden lead I have all wooden stones. How did how did that idea come to you? What was the first one? Why? Uh, well, the first one was all wooden stones, and the thing I had already been doing something. It takes me about two years to write what I consider ten good songs. I mean, I write a lot. I probably write you know twenty five or thirty songs a year, maybe forty, but they're not all they're not all great. It takes sometimes it takes me two years to write a song. So so. Uh, they decided that I should, ha- you know, you should release something every year just to keep your career rolling. 
So I started doing duet albums. I did a duet album with Michael Smith, who was a fantastic Chicago singer-songwriter. I did three duet albums with Peter Tork from The Monkees. And, uh, and so I was, I was in the, uh, the mindset of doing an album with somebody else every other year or so, just so that I'd have two years buffer to write and record everything. Because I'm also the engineer and, and the arranger, you know. Like on Without Susie, my latest solo album, I played everything. Because I did it up here in the mountain, nobody was around. I thought, who cares? I can play everything. So I just <laughs> did. <clears throat> but, it, but in any event, I was at a wedding. Okay. And, and uh, about, this was 2004. And they said, go up on stage and sing something. And I was there with two other songwriters. Uh, Rod McDonald, who's a political songwriter from Florida. Mm-hmm. And George Merrill, who was in a band called Boy Meets Girl. They wrote, How Will I Know? And I Want to Dance oh. with Somebody. So, oh, yeah. Uh, great songs. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. So the three of us go up on stage, and that's when we realized that all three of us know our own songs. None of us knew anybody else's song. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> And then how do you play together? Yeah. Yeah. So Rod, Rod, right at the top of his head, Rod McDonald goes, do you know Ruby Tuesday? And I said, I know the chorus. And, and he goes, oh, and George goes, yeah. So he starts playing and he sings the verse and George has a really high voice. So I took the middle part and George took the high part and we did three part harmony on, on Ruby Tuesday. The, the wedding party stopped. It was wow. like a part, I mean, they literally came to the stage like it was Ozzy and, and Nelson, you know, Ozzy and Harriet when Ricky would go on, they'd all, it was like that. They all came up to the stage and they were just digging it. And so driving home, I said to my wife, I don't, I don't think anybody's ever heard the Rolling Stones done well. I mean, um, harmonically, musically, you know, great rock and roll, but in terms of making some musical thing, they're more into, into raunch and rock than they are into uh, what I'm into. So I decided to do an album like that. And I called John Batdorf, who's a wonderful singer-songwriter, and, uh, and I called Timothy Schmidt from the Eagles. And the Eagles were on hiatus, or actually they'd broken up. So Timothy was just, and he lived down the street from me. So it was going to be Timothy and John and I doing the album. And Timothy did the first song, which was last time. Mm-hmm. And then the Eagles called him up. He called me like, I'm not kidding, the next day he sang on Rolling Oh, man. And, and Don Henley calls up uh, Timothy. So Timothy calls me and said, James, Henley's putting the Eagles back together. And he said, I know that I promised you I was going to do this project. And I said, well, let's see. A bazillion dollars? Obscurity? I don't know. If I were you, I'd, I'd go for the bazillion dollars, you know, which is what he did. He went and, and back in the Eagles and he did their thing. And John and I were finishing up the album. We were doing a song called, uh, uh, what is that song? Uh, the, the, the one that was a hit by Marianne Faithful as tears go by. We, we started doing that song and Timothy called up and said, where are you? And I said, well, we're just doing the last song. He said, well, you want a high part? So he came and sang on the last song. Aww. Yeah, he's a terrific guy. He's terrific. Amazingly talented and, and spiritually where he, you know, he's really on the money. He's a great dude. How wonderful. So anyhow, after we did that, uh, and, it, and XM called it the record of the year. So we did an, another volume, uh, uh, All Wood and, and Stones 2. And then that you did that because it was requested it because yeah. it was a request. Okay. Yeah. They, I mean, mm-hmm. XM said it was in contention for the record of the year. They loved it. They, they still play it. So, wow. so we made all wooden stones too. And we toured on that. And then uh, I'm, I got a chance to meet John Densmore at a luncheon and I took his book. 
you know, a Riders in the Storm so he could sign it for me. And I shook hands with him and said, you know, I'm a big fan and James Lee Stanley. And he said, I love what you did to the Stones. And he'd heard the record. He loved it. And then he said, if you do the doors, I'll play on it. <gasps> and I said, well, John, I'm, I'm going to do the doors then, aren't I? <laughs> so I called Cliff Eberhardt, who said, I'm in. And we did the doors and Timothy's on it and Lawrence Juber's on it and Paul Barrera from Little Feet's on it and Peter Tork from Monkeys is on it and John Densmore is on it and also Robbie Krieger, the guitar player from The Doors. The two living doors are on it. So we did all wooden doors. And, and then uh, Dan Navarro contacted me and said, hey man, I wanna do one of these records with you. And I said, okay, uh, what do you have in mind? He said, Led Zeppelin. And I said, I don't know any Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I mean, I know Stairway to Heaven and I know a, a whole lot of love. Mm-hmm. That's it. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I ever heard another uh, Led Zeppelin tune. And uh, so he sent me, he bought every album and sent it to me and I took him on the road and listened in the cars. And, and then we got together and uh, at his house and we just picked 12 we liked, made some kind of rough arrangement. And then I came up here to my studio and I, I played everything. I did all the percussion and all the guitars and I hired uh, Chad Watson to play Love some Chad. great bass. Yeah, Chad is the he's been on all my records for 10 years. He's a magnificent player and a magnificent dude. So uh, it was Chad on bass and me on everything else. And uh, then Dan came up and we laid down the vocals and we made all wooden lead. So and they're all fantastic. I have to say that I have a personal favorite mostly because I saw you play it live. Oh. And uh and I was friends with Cliff once upon a day and it was thrilling. So I was oh, going to ask you if you'd play something from All Wood and Doors for us. Yeah, I can do that. Let's swim to the moon Let's climb through the tide Penetrate the evening That the city sleeps too high Let's swim out tonight, love It's our time to try Park beside the ocean On our moonlight drive a moonlight drive Let's swim to the moon Let's climb to the tide Surrender to the waiting world The daylight tries to hide Nothing left open Nothing to decide Slip into that river On our moonlight drive Moonlight drive Let's swim to the moon Let's climb through the tide You reach your hand to hold me But I cannot be your guide 
as I watch you glide, falling through the forest on our moonlight drive, moonlight drive. Take a little ride down, down, down by the ocean side. Gonna get real close, get real close. Yes, we're gonna get real tight. Down, down, down by the ocean side. I just could not love that more. I, I have I have listened to that album so I just I love every song. I, I was never a Zeppelin fan either. So uh, you know it, that. But but what you you and Dan do with it is you know yeah, it's, it's, it's really it's, different. It's nothing like like Led exactly. Zeppelin. And, it ha- and getting back to the to the Doors thing, mm-hmm. Cliff Everhart sings his ass off on that record. He really yeah. does a great. You job. both do. You both do. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, I love that record a lot, to tell you the truth. It's pretty I, it's, spectacular. It's one of my faves. I'm really surprised that nobody bought it because I thought it was. <laughs> well, this is the story of my life, James. <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on. You and I, you know, you you have the the thousands. I have the tens of fans. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just the way that goes. Well, so... I, I, I made 35 albums. My wife calls it a triumph of hope over feedback. You know? <laughs> God. Okay, so let's talk about the current album. What what what's this that you're oh, doing? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, these are the albums. This is uh, All Wood and Stones, All Wood and Stones Two, All Wood and Doors, mm-hmm. and now All Wood and Lead. And uh, Dan and I haven't even put together a tour to go out on this yet because, well, actually, he's just really busy. We haven't we have not played this album, and I don't. Uh, I, oh, by the way, I did all the guitars in this record, and I mixed it, uh, after we did the vocals, I mixed it and finished the night before my cancer operation. What? Because I was afraid that uh, I would die before I finished it. So I thought, I got to, so I did everything I could. And then uh, I went and had the operation, and we waited over a year to release this thing. You know, because I had that album without Susie coming out, too, so. Um, a solo record so okay so how many solo records total are there uh let's see there are four seven eight i think i wrote i think there are like there are there are eight duet albums and i've written uh, this is my i think this is without susie's my 36 so there's 28 solo albums and uh and six duet albums and a christmas album oh and a and a musical i wrote 
Okay, so let's talk about so how did this for people who don't know you, James, how did this, how did this, how did you happen upon this? Was this, were you playing guitar from a wee child? Did you take to it immediately? Were you a protege? Uh, yeah, I, I started, I started playing ukulele back on the wall. There is a, is a Favilla baritone ukulele that I got when I was 12. And, uh, my uncle gave it to me and he taught me to play. And then my grandfather was also a magnificent musician. He could play the, mm. he could play the piano like Chico, uh, Chico Marx and he could play the guitar and the banjo and the, trombone I mean, he could play anything anyhow they taught me all those songs from from the ukulele ike songbook and you know whispering while whispering while you cuddle near me you know i learned all those kind of songs before and then then of course i learned my rock and roll songs so the girls would like me and uh, then when i was 14 i got a guitar and by the time i was 16 i had a record deal with spq or uh no legrand records in uh, in norfolk virginia who who the other artists on the label were Jimmy Soul, if you want to be happy, and uh, and uh, Gary U.S. Bonds. I said, uh, hey, 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 yeah, you know. So I was on that label for a couple of cuts. And then, uh, but I was really getting into folk music, so I left that all behind and, and became a solo act, which has lasted until a quarter to six today. <laughs> so... Talk, let's talk about Peter Tork for a minute, because ah, or for more than a minute, because one of my one of my dearest friends and one of the most generous people I ever knew. So, how did tell us about that relationship? I met him when he was playing the banjo behind the Phoenix Singers, which was an offshoot of the Belafonte Singers. He was the banjo player, and he came to Virginia Beach, hmm? and uh, they came. How old were you guys? I was sixteen. I think Peter would have been twenty. Okay. And, uh, and I was working with a fake ID in this club and they came <laughs> in and I, and I met them and he and I just hit it off. And they used to have these open mics on Monday nights, they called hoot nannies. And, uh, they arrived on a Monday mm -hmm. and there was who now, oh, and he saw me play at the hoot nanny. And then, and then, uh, saw so I was working there and we became friends. And then the next week he and I put together a little act and we did, uh, three songs at the, at the open mic, three folk songs. Mm -hmm. And we stayed friends. And then uh, I'd been thrown out of high school, by the way. So I didn't, I wasn't in high school and I was living by myself. Wait, wait, and, why were you thrown out of high school, James? I can't imagine. I'm such a nice person. But <laughs> you uh, are. I, you know, you... I, 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 I've never been good at suffering assholes. You know what I mean? I have a hard time not communicating to you that you're an asshole if you are. <laughs> and that did not go over in uh, Virginia when I was, you know, mm. 16 and 17. So in any event, uh, when I, in this, in the summer, the Virginia beach would open up and it'd be crazed. And, and then in the wintertime, there was no place to play. Mm. So I got together with Ronnie Holloman and Bruce Stampley and mm -hmm. we opened our own teen nightclub. Uh, I was 17 or, and it was called the wow. folk ghetto. And, and, uh, it was a 200 seat club. Uh -huh. And, and, and we, we used the, the cobblestone section of Norfolk, Virginia. So it was like old, you know, mm -hmm. and people, it, it was a success from the moment we opened the doors. Wow. How, how, where did you get the money to do this? How did you do this? Well, there wasn't much money to be, you didn't need a lot of money then. And, uh, my, we decided that we, if we could do it, if we could raise $500 a piece. And my wow. father, my father said, if you raise 250, I can get 250 for you. 
which, and at the time I didn't know he borrowed it from somebody else to give because he didn't have any money. Uh, so we each threw $500 in and uh, rented the place and, and the people that own the shadows, the Virginia, where I met Peter at Torque in Virginia mm -hmm. beach, they loaned us the tables and chairs for the first three months. We had to return them when the summer started because they needed them for their club. But in three months, I had so much money. I bought, you know, we bought our own tables and chairs. So, and I bought my first motorcycle after the first weekend's take. <laughs> wow. So, and what ended up happening with that? Uh, uh, a guy bought us out about, about six months later, and then he didn't know what to do with it. And about it, six months after that was gone, but it was there, mm -hmm. it was there about a year. Yeah. And James, do you ha do you come from a musical family? You mentioned your father. What did your father do? My my father was uh, a mechanic, you know, and, and he learned to play the piano because my mother's family was very musical. Everybody sang, and and my grandfather played every instrument. And every time there was a party, there was a pickup band of just relatives that would get together, and there was always a band and dancing at every New Year's Eve party and every Fourth of July thing. And and uh, I just never. I always knew this is what I was going to do. I never even had, there was no question. The only mm -hmm. time when I was about 10, because I'm really good with art, I remember drawing all those Disney characters and thinking, I'm going to California and work for Walt Disney. But then I got a ukulele and I thought, well, Walt, sorry, babe. You know, and I went into, I just went into music full time and I never looked back. And now it's what, 36 albums later and 50 years have you been able to were you years. able to do it from the start without having a day job were you able to make a living as a musician you know what i outside of the air force i joined the air force because uh my parents were actually you know no one had ever gone to college in in my family and mm -hmm. the air force provided the gi bill so i signed up for four years so i could go to college but wait a minute years. you got thrown out of high school how are you going to college well i, I went back and finished high school okay that's how I got back in my parents' good graces. When they found out that I was living in Virginia Beach and catching a Greyhound bus to Norfolk to go to high school, they said, you can come home and live with us again. So I did. And, uh, and, and I, you know, from then on, I was like an adult. They did, I didn't have to tell them where I was going or when I was coming in. They knew that I'd already, you know, been living on my own and that, it, that I was obviously responsible because I mm -hmm. arranged to go back to high school on my own. So, so I, I went to the Air Force for four years and then, uh, and then I went to college and got the GI Bill to go to college. And I, I played music all through the Air Force. I mean, I, I studied Chinese at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey while I was in the Air Force, but I played every weekend down on Cannery Row, you know, the whole time I lived there. And I lived in Carmel above the Highlands Inn. I, mm. uh, speaking of Carmel, you were wonderful. And, and I wanted to acknowledge this too. Today is the 21st night of September. And our friend Allie Willis um, was up in uh, Big Sur with us when you did the concert with another monkey. Uh, yeah, Mike Michael Nesmith, Nesmith produced right. it and performed there. And you came up. You were such a gift to me. Came up and performed. You were doing some show up there anyway. You oh, scooted you know, over, yeah, right? I, I had to play at noon at the uh, at the Monterey Music Festival that they have every every year that weekend, uh, and then I drove down to the Henry Miller Library and I played for you with and I brought Chad on bass, and then we jumped in the car as soon as I was finished and we drove up to Fremont because I had a show that night. We did wow. three, three shows in one day. 
That was crazy. And it was such a magical, you weren't, you weren't able to stay with us for very long because you had stuff before and after, right. but it was, I really wanted and, to stay, but you know, I had the gig, you know, you know, that was the first time that, that Nez played live in front of an audience in like 17 years or something crazy like really? that. And it started a whole thing. And then he ended up rejoining the monkeys right. and right. It was right after, very soon after that. Um, so that's interesting, isn't it? Cause Peter wasn't really playing either. Oh, but but Peter and Mickey and Davey had been playing. No, no, that was, I mean, but before the monkeys started back up. Oh, before the monkeys started yeah, Peter, back. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, Peter and I reconnected when I moved to Los Angeles in 1980. And, and you know, we just were really close friends. I mean, since we've known each other, we were close friends. When did and, you do the solo about, albums with Peter? I beg your pardon? When did you do the solo, the, the, not the solo albums, when did you do the duet albums with Peter? Uh, we did uh, two-man band, I guess about 95, and we did uh, once again about 90, oh, this came out in 2000, 2001, and then we did this one. I guess it was, uh, it must have been 98, 2001, and 2003, we did these three uh, duet albums, because I would produced his solo album, and what happened is that he wasn't playing either, and I said, Peter, you know, Mickey has an album out, Davey has an album out, Michael's put out albums, why haven't you put out an album? And he was, he was so sweet, so humble, he said, well, nobody asked me. And, and, I, and I said, Peter, I have a studio, I have a record label, I have national distribution. I said, I'll tell you what, let's make a record and we'll sell it to one of the majors and if we can't get what we want for it, we can always put it on my label so we can't lose. We're going to make a record and it's coming out and it's getting national distribution. And he said, okay. So we worked about three months when my wife took me aside and said, James, you have to charge him something. You can't just do this because I was, I, was, I was just helping a friend. Right. So, so I went to him and I said, Peter, I, my wife pointed out that I'm not making any money and she's not either. So I've got to go back to work or else you have to start you know, and he had been on one monkeys tour now, so he had a little bit of money. And, uh, and he said, no problem. So he paid me. And then when we finished, he said, James, I don't want to shop the record. Let's put it on your label. So Peter Tork signed to my label just out of friendship. Wow. You That's know? And, and then we, we toured behind that record, and then we made three duet albums. So we had about an eight-year run, I think. That's that's really lovely. And were you did you remain close until he passed? I spoke to him two days before he passed. He, hmm. he, I, I, we we talked a lot of them because he'd moved back to Mansfield uh, mm -hmm. Center there uh, in Connecticut. And I remember the last time I spoke to him, I, I called him and I said, Peter. I remember he called me in in September and he said, James, the medicine isn't working, so I'm just shutting it all down. I'm not taking any medicine. And I said, what does that mean? He said, that means I hope I make Christmas. Oh. And, and I'm telling you, I, you know, I, in any event, uh, by Christmas time, we, we talked on the phone, you know, weekly. Uh, and he called me on Christmas Day. And we talked for a couple of hours. And I said, well, you made Christmas. He said, yeah, now I'm shooting for my birthday. And he made his birthday, which is, I think, February the 9th. And I think he passed on the 19th. And he I spoke to him on, on the 17th and I said, Peter, so what's happening, buddy? And he said, I'm just waiting. 
So, and then uh, 48 hours later, he was gone. Well, so. I am very uh, blessed that I got to meet him. And uh, it was on a monkey's tour. After he, after uh, Nez did that thing with us, mm -hmm. I went, I had, I had met Mickey a couple of times, but I went to a monkey show and At got to go Bowl? back. Uh, it wasn't the, it was the Greek. It was at, at the, the Greek. Greek. I was there. Yeah. It was at the Greek and I got to meet Peter and it was, the, I had booked Davy Jones in 1988 in this teeny little club. And I knew, had met Mickey a while ago and then I knew Nez. So now I got to meet Peter and, and fill in that met. And he was so lovely and I don't know, was she his wife or his girlfriend? I'm not sure if they were married. Pam, that was his girlfriend Pam. and she became his wife. That was Pam. Pam was lovely. And and Peter was already, already had oh, yeah. the cancer. He'd been and dealing with it for a while. He said that uh, if if his health held up and he the next time he was in Los Angeles, he would do Women Who Write. And he was lovely about it. And um, yeah, he was he, he was so generous. He demanded that we split the door. Mm -hmm on everything. And the fact of the matter is we filled every place we played because Peter Tork was playing. Mm. And I, I, I was thinking that, you know, he should take more. No, man. No, absolutely not. Wow. Um, he, even wanted it... me to take, uh, he wanted me to take a fee for booking the dates. I said, Peter, you know, I, I'm, I'm already partners on your album. So I'm, I mean, I'm making, you know, it was ridiculous. He was so generous. And he would come off of a monkey's tour where the people schlepping his guitars and those limousines. And then I'd pick him up at the airport and he'd get in the Dodge Stratus and I'd drive it and we'd share a room, you know, <laughs> two beds. And, I mean, he, That's he hysterical. Great. He was, he was the best friend I ever had, you know? Oh God, that is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, is there a song that you recorded with Peter that you could play for us? I've never asked you this before. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I, I had a, I have a brand new song. I got the words right here that I was hoping. Let's all right. Let's 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 play a brand new song. We're, we're, okay. We'll we'll feel Peter with us, but we'll. Okay. This uh, this uh, is a tune that was inspired by, you know, our generation and what what a what a coast we had through life compared to everybody mm. else, and also where the planet, what we're doing to the planet, and and climate change and this political bullshit we're dealing with now with a man that thinks he's above the law and it, you know. Anyhow, I wrote this tune called Carnival. Let me turn on the guitar. The carnival has left this town. There's only barren fields. No carousel, calliope. No more Ferris wheel. The carnival has left this town. Don't think it will return. We thought that it would last forever. Will we ever learn? in shadows the darken as we wait the wind of silence whispers through the rusted busted gate a paper cup blows through the grass the sun's nowhere in sight the wind picks up trees lose their leaves and the string snaps on my kite <laughs> <laughs> 
slowly drifts into the night. The carnival has left this town. There's only empty space. The lions and the tigers, all gone without a trace. The carnival has left this town. I know it may sound strange, but we thought life would stay the same. Now everything has changed. Our whole lives were a carnival. We rode free on a pass. We never thought that it could end, but nothing's built to last. The summers now are way too hot. The winters long and cold. Do you think spring will come again? At least that's what we're told. Do you believe what we've been told? The carnival has left this town. There's only barren fields, no carousel, calliope, no more Ferris wheels. The carnival has left this town. Don't think it will return. We thought that it would last forever. Guess we'll never learn. Will we ever learn? It's too late to learn. How beautiful! Yeah, it's brand new. I just finished the one line about an hour ago. Wow! Wow! Uh, and so, pretty okay, cheerful so tune. <laughs> I was I was going to say I'm not going to let you leave us on that. It's beautiful, but you're going to have to leave us with something that's going to okay. get us all happy and smiling because okay. right now I want to slip my wrist. No, I'm I but okay. but it is yeah. A actually, somber. I can play I can play some stuff that Peter and I did. Uh, I can play "Touch Like Magic" or "All I Ever Wanted" or play something happy if you can. Okay, okay, all I ever wanted. Okay. better choose all my friends keep telling me better do what's good for you well they don't know the demon that's inside of me without you I lose my way all I ever wanted you give me All I ever wanted you are All I ever wanted without you Will leave me with an empty heart I love the mystery 
what you do still holds for me. But that ain't new, oh no, just the same old history. Without you, I lose my way. I just put up a, a video that Peter and I did at a TV show of that song uh, on my on Facebook today. Just oh like, wow! So if you want to see us do it, it live, uh, it's on my. I Facebook would love video. that. I'll put the link on the on, with the liner notes so people can watch it. That would be oh, fabulous. Good. good. I, okay, so tell us every where we can find everything. Okay. Uh, jamesleestanley.com you can find everything and you can also navigate to all the other sites there's a site for all wooden stones all wooden doors all wooden lead so there's a site for the musical uh, they're, they're all there but you get them through jamesleestanley.com October the 15th Saturday night in Culver City at Boulevard Music I'm playing for my pal Gary uh, doing my first concert in, in that side of town in two years wow or more actually and uh on November the 12th, another Saturday night, I'm playing North Hollywood at uh, Kulak's, which is a wonderful place that Paul Kulak put together. Mm-hmm. So those are my two shows coming up for the year. And the documentary can be had at my website and uh, and all the albums, of course, 
and you can and you can also you know they're on every streaming service and and every every download service but if you really care about live music you would uh, you would purchase the music from the artists themselves Absolutely. And I'm going to encourage you to do that. And James Lee, you are so listenable. I, I play you over and over. You you are on heavy rotation in my office on a regular basis. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, you always you, give You are more beautiful than ever. It's quite remarkable. Oh, <laughs> oh you. No, I'm telling you too. I, you know, I, I went to your site and looked at pictures of you like when you were 19 and when you were 25 and stuff. And I thought, She's more beautiful now than she's ever been. It's unbelievable. Oh, oh that's you must really have like a t-shirt in the attic, like you know. Yeah, a t-shirt. That's right. I've got a t-shirt in the attic. I don't have an attic, but I've got a t. Oh, it's uh, like Dorian Gray, you know, but with the t-shirt instead of a paint. Instead of a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> well, a portrait, actually. It was a portrait that was, it was aging, a portrait, right? Yeah. It was a portrait. Did you right? ever hear that song by Michael Smith called uh, Dorian Gray? I don't know. I'm gonna send it to you. It is so funny. It is so wow. funny. Oh, how he's, cool. My, Michael passed away last year. I can't, you, I can't put you together with him because he's gone. But he was, he was an inspiration to me for all 50 years of our friendship. Wow. Well, you are an inspiration to me, and I believe to every artist out there. You have <laughs> every cancer 30, survivor. <laughs> 30, well, cancer survivor, falling off a roof survivor, 35 plus albums later opening for like all of these people, these lifelong friendships. I mean, there's a lot to, there's a lot to yeah. admire. I'm really, I'm really blessed. I, I've had such a great life. And I, I remember Tom Robbins uh, told me once that he wasn't sure that, that a celebrity was a proper reward for talent. Wow. And what what thought, is the proper reward for talent? I think my life is was is a really proper reward. You realize I have all my friends from my whole life. I mean, when I lose a friend, it's because they died. Yeah. You know. Yes. Yes. I still have all my friends from my whole life. I have a beautiful home on top of a mountain. I don't have to work for the rest of my life. I mean, you have you a know. gorgeous wife who loves you and who you love. And there's that. You know, I have a gorgeous wife who loves me and whom I love. And uh, and you've managed to have your health in spite of many challenges. Attitude. Attitude's a big deal when it comes to illness. You know, if you're if you if you get something, kids, don't don't buy into it. The doctors Okay, wait a minute. Did you have the COVID, James? I did not. I have not either. All right, I'm knocking on wood poo-poo for both of us. Um attitude. Do you know where that came from, by the way? What where? Knocking what? on wood. This this what? is so weird. It used to be that every church had a relic, a right. piece. And the relic they usually had, I mean, hundreds of years ago, maybe a thousand years ago, was a piece of the cross. They would have it inside of a little thing, Uh a piece of the cross, allegedly. Uh It was, of course, bullshit, but they said they had a piece (laughs) of the cross. So so whenever things were gone or or wrong or or you did something that you thought would hurt you, they would say, run to the church and touch the cross. And so they would go and they would touch that piece of wood. And then that evolved into just touch a piece of wood. And then that, that evolved into Wilson Pickett. You better knock, knock on wood. It, it all came from. from Come on, the, it didn't start with Wilson. I mean, the knocking on wood isn't from that song. No, 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 no. But I'm okay. saying that 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 song came about because. Because of that, that that's an ama- that's amazing. Thank you for yeah. telling me that. I never I was knew in the neighborhood. That. Yeah. Relics, you know, I mean, religion. I got to tell you, I, I have no comprehension of uh, delusional mythology i just don't get it but 
it's, it seems to be comfort to a lot of people. And, uh, and I don't know why they're so afraid of death. When they were rolling me in for the cancer thing, I remember thinking, well, I wonder if this is it. I wonder if they're going to like slice me open and go, geez, he's Whoa. riddled with cancer. Send him home. It's over. And, and, or else they make, oops, we slipped and cut his car- carotid artery and that's that. Yeah. You, know I mean? you know, so, but as they rolled me in, I thought, well, it's been a pretty great life. I really can't complain. So mm. I went in there and they gave me the, knocked me out. And when I woke up, I thought, well, I guess it worked out. <laughs> and I can still sing. And you can sing like an angel. Mwah. James Lee, thank you so much for doing this. It's always so wonderful to sit. Down. I miss you. I miss seeing you in the reels. And uh, I hope that happens soon. Stay healthy. And I will. Um, try to come to Kulux. I, I, I only met... Uh, I only met your guy once about a thousand years ago. I don't think he'd even remember, but. Uh, you know, I, 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 I have not done the live concert. I've done the Hollywood Bowl outside. I haven't done inside venues yet, but I got the, co- the Omicron booster and I'm going on a trip tomorrow, a little one driving trip, but in a hotel. I'm trying to get braver. I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm well, working I mean, I, on I did two weeks back east in April. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was in Nashville last week for the Americana conference. I did a show, and I you know I did wear a mask on the plane the whole time. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know so most people didn't, but I thought yeah. I don't care. Yeah, and I, I wear a mask, mask everywhere, but I'm also, gonna get braver. Yeah, yeah, you can, you know I I think it by November I think it's going to be all right, or else it will be over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope not that. Thank you so much, James. I just adore you. Right back at you. you. Thanks so much. Love you. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.